Hello and welcome to the Kelly Cotrera Podcast. I'm Chris Creston, producer of the Kelly Cotrera Show. Today, Peter Sherman filled in. He spoke with Professor Ian Lee about the transition from the CERB. He also spoke with Councillor Josh Matlow about the construction noise that seems to go on at all hours of the day. But first, Peter was able to catch up with someone who's fighting for tougher penalties for people who are convicted of dangerous driving. You have followed along over the course of summer, but very particularly in June when the event I'm about to explore a little bit for you um, unfolds. Back in June, a 37-year-old mom, Carolina Chasulo, and her three young girls, Clara, six, Liliana, four, and Mila, one, were tragically um, killed. One of them instantly, the others were pronounced dead at hospital. It was a terrible, terrible situation. I would call it an accident, but I I don't think that uh, this classifies as an accident. Uh, Essentially, they were broadsided uh, in their their van by uh, a guy driving an Infinity, it is alleged, Uh, and this same person, Brady Robertson, 20 years old, has been in Maplehurst Correctional Complex since he was charged, and that was back in June, the end of June. Four counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death. I don't know what the penalty for that is. I don't know whether he's guilty or not. I mean, presumably he is, but um, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. This has garnered an awful lot of interest because when you see these beautiful children and their lovely mom, uh, and a and a dad bereft of uh, his life with with no children and no wife left in the in the blink of an eye um you you your heart just goes oh my god you know i'm there but for the grace of god can i imagine how that is no i cannot even begin to imagine what that man feels and uh and i want somebody to pay that's the visceral reaction i want the right person to pay i want the right person to pay with the appropriate penalty but all of these things are up for discussion and uh to help us explore what's going on let's talk with someone who started a petition along those lines her name is Jillian McLeod and uh, I believe that uh, you're up to somewhere pushing 90,000 signatures looking for harsher punishment for dangerous drivers Jill and welcome thank you very much for having me I appreciate it okay so tell me tell me how you got involved I know you're head of an organization that is seeking to change the uh, the penalties for this kind of thing this is an awful situation and as I said I don't call this an accident nor do I. It's not an accident. Brady chose to do what he did. He made the conscious decision to try to evade police by running a red light, and he had to have known there was consequences to make that decision. So I don't believe it was an accident at all. He made the decision. Okay, so there's a bail hearing, and I know that you're, if you're not at the courthouse, you're going to be today. I know I'm that here now, yeah. Okay, so it's continuing today. It started yesterday. That's a long bail hearing. What what kind of arguments? I know you're not supposed to say anything. We're not supposed to report on it. But I can't see how you can go two days arguing on bail where somebody has been charged with uh, th- this kind of a charge. You know, you, you're you're out on bail or you're not out on bail. You're out on bail at some dollar value or you're not. What's the, what's the the concern that this guy might give, get behind the wheel again? Uh, that's one concern. I can't say a whole lot about it regarding the publication ban, but I can say that basically um, this case is a reverse on this case, meaning it was up to the defense or his criminal, his lawyer to prove why he should be released as opposed to the usual opposite. So that was a lengthy part of it was his, his attorney arguing on his behalf on why he believes he should be released. 
You I believe can't, like that, I said, I can't get into details, but yes. I fully understand, and neither can we. A publication ban means we can't right. tell you the, the nuts and bolts of what, what are going on in the courtroom. But we're talking in generalities. Uh, I think what you're looking for is to see some precedent set, because we've seen too many of these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, it, it goes back to... Uh, three grandchildren and it goes back to Marco all different but some related because they have to do with somebody or in fact taking um, liberties with how they drive their car and ending somebody else's life or lives and, and uh, setting a precedent means we got to find a way to make this stop and make it stop with penalties that are large enough to prevent it Yes, absolutely. That's what we're trying to do in this case is have them make an example of this person and have them have this case set a precedent for future cases. Um, when I followed the Muzzo trial, I was absolutely outraged at the outcome and that. And then after him getting uh, day parole after serving only less than four years. So it should have changed after that. Unfortunately, nothing has been done in the past five years since that accident or since that crash happened to fix a, fix the laws or fix anything related to cases like this. So it is absolutely absolutely important that this time it happens and they make an example and we set a precedent this time because the community feedback I've been getting is is just from across the province, across Canada for support of this. Well, you know, there are a couple of things that come into play. One of them is if you take, it may not technically be something like premeditated murder. In fact, I could say it's not on the one hand. On the other hand, when you wipe out a family and you leave a man, you know, a young man standing there, uh, he left the house in the morning, presumably, uh, and said goodbye to his three daughters and, and his, his lovely wife, his beautiful wife. They're all yeah. gorgeous. And, and uh, he gets a call in the middle of the day that they're no longer alive. Yeah. There, there has it's to be something better than four years for that. Absolutely. So what we're looking to do or what we're looking to have the outcome of this happen is basically uh, to have mandatory sentences put in place as a maximum Right now, technically, they do have an option of life, but that's very rarely, if ever, given. Uh, most cases, or most often in cases, they're given anywhere from uh, 7 to 10 years in these types of, of convictions. So what we're looking for is to have a much harsher sentence and have a mandatory 20-year sentence. As well, we're looking for parole eligibility to be changed. Right now, these offenders can only serve one-third of their sentence before they can apply for parole. We want that to be changed as well to three quarters of their sentences. So they're in jail for a longer period of time before they can have access to any type of parole hearing. And as well, we want the sentences to run consecutively. So you want, yeah, consecutively would be uh, an interesting gambit because in the case, in this case, if someone were found guilty, he'd be in jail basically for life. And, and I That's presume right. regardless of what the uh, the sentences are, whether they're consecutive or concurrent, whether they're long or they're short, uh, one of the things that I'd want is that this person never get behind the wheel of a car again. Absolutely. We also want that change as well. Uh, in the Marco Muzzo case, he was only given a 10-year driving van, so in another six or seven years, he'll be able to drive again. In this case, we are demanding that Bill, uh, sorry, Brady Robertson get a lifetime driving van as well as part of his punishment. Well, you're serving the uh, the community well. I know that your petition is uh, available for signature. Where can people find it if they want to add their name? Yeah, they can find it on our Facebook group name, uh, Time for Change, Justice for Families. It's listed as that on Facebook. As well, they can go to my personal Facebook account at Jillian McLeod, J-I-L-L-I-A-N-M-C-L-E-O-D. As well, it's also on my pinned on my Twitter account at Jillian McLeod zero five. So that's Jillian McLeod zero five on my Twitter account. It is pinned at the top of my page. 
So we currently have 87,743 signatures. So you can tell from the community outpouring of support that they all want this change done. Well, there's an awful lot of push for it. Jillian, you're doing good work. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much for having me again. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Jillian McLeod, not my pleasure to talk about that subject, but my pleasure to have somebody who's working so hard to make our community safe. If you're on CERB, uh, you're probably celebrating today, or if you don't know this, uh, you can do a little dance around the kitchen table. Uh, they extended it for a month, so instead of being cut off next week, you got about five or six weeks to go, the end of September now, and then you transition automatically with no further application to a kind of a revised EI program. I'll tell you a bit about it, and then we'll get uh, Professor Ian Lee on of the Sprott School of Business at Carleton. He's uh, very useful in uh, helping me decode these things. Love talking to him, and he's standing by. But here's what's going on. The Liberals are, are spending $37 billion for workers affected by the uh, COVID pandemic, and this is just weeks ahead of the end of CERB. So the new measures include uh, these broad EI changes. The CERB goes four more weeks, and a new benefit that pays 400 a week for up to 26 weeks replaces it for those ineligible for EI. And anybody in, uh, who is eligible for EI will get the same minimum for at least 26 weeks and will need to have worked 120 hours, just, I might say, 120 hours, to qualify, which is well below the current requirements because many Canadians have been unable to work, obviously, during the pandemic. And also among the new benefits is 500 a week for caregiving. That's the caregiving benefit. And um, at, the, at the press conference announcing this, the employment minister, Carla Qualtro, said the benefit will help anyone who has to stay home because school is not operative or daycare is closed, whatever it happens to be. Another new benefit, 500 weekly for up to two weeks for those who don't have paid sick leave and become sick or have to isolate due to reasons linked to COVID-19. And uh, so they're trying to be uh, as um, broad in their thinking as they can. I have a feeling, and I'm going to go to um, Ian Lee. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Peter. Great to have Professor Ian Lee with us, Scott School of uh, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. I'm listening to myself talk. I've read this several times, and now I've got you on the line, and I want to bounce something off you, Ian. This sounds very much like the precursor to a guaranteed annual income. Um, I'm going to agree and disagree simultaneously, and not okay. because I'm trying to sit on the fence. Let me just explain. Let me let me back up for a moment to put a context on this. Um, and I supported the original CERB, along with, I think, everybody else in the country, but I was strongly critical of the way they structured the CERB because it violated two fundamental principles of the Unemployment Insurance Act, which Canadians strongly support and has been around since 1940. The number one principle, or one of the core principles is that you must be looking for a job actively while you're on unemployment insurance, even if there's no jobs. You've got to go through the motions just to keep you psychologically, you know, plugged in to the job market. And secondly, it doesn't pay 100% of income. It pays a percentage, 55% to be precise. Right. The CERB uh, threw those two principles out the window. They said you don't have to be looking for a job. In fact, if your former employer calls you up and asks you to come back, you can say no. It's kind of like it's Oprah. Normal. Everybody gets a check. Exactly. And secondly, they were paying, and this is now in the fiscal snapshot, in aggregate, the income support programs ended up paying 150% of the losses in aggregate in Canada from those who lost their job. In other words, 
We didn't pay 55% of their job losses. We paid all of the job losses and 50% more. It's like, you know, you write off your car. It's a 30000 hour car. The insurance company says, well, we're going to give you 50000 <laughs> even though the car is only worth thirty. Same idea. And, and so now they're rolling it into EI because they realize they have a problem. It's not sustainable. And they're rolling it in to, to uh, in, embed it in, in the principles of EI. Here's where I. But they're expanding the principles of EIE and broadly. They're they're expanding it profoundly. And it's going to make it vastly more, um, uh, I don't want to say attractive, it's going to make it, uh, um, uh, many more people will become eligible for it, and it's going to become vastly more expensive. And I'll get to the premium and how it's funded by our premiums in a moment. So. To answer your question about the uh, guaranteed annual income, they're not. I don't think they're going to get on that road because it is so brutally expensive. PBL estimated between 100 billion a year, a year, and 200 billion a year, and that's on top of all the money we're spending now. And I think they looked at that and said, "Oh my God, we can't do that. It'll it'll break the bank." So what they're doing is they're going to profoundly or radically expand EI, and these three measures they've announced that you just reviewed, I do not believe they're temporary. Uh, when governments, when they introduce new programs of that kind in the social sphere, where you say, okay, we're going to let you take sick leave on EI and stuff, like that, you're not going to take it back. Well, the only thing that's temporary, and I think you'd agree with this, is the 120 hours is pretty low, and understandably low, given the state of uh, yeah. of what we're in right now. But yeah. once this thing is gone, at some point it will be gone, I would think that hour total will go up. The, they said, the minister said that these changes, all these changes to EI are only for one year. I think what they're going to do is be very selective in a year. I do about the the base hours. I agree they will that will go back up. Whether it will go back up to seven hundred, I'm skeptical. But I meant that the benefits where you can gig workers and uh, self-employed workers can qualify for EI that was never the case before. So they're cool. r- radically expanding the eligibility to many more people for many more purposes. Caregivers. Um, you know, and uh, and you're and you're on sick leave, or you don't have sick leave, and so you can collect that sort of thing. Okay, so, so I mean, they're making they're making EI, albeit low compared to what you'd make. Uh, pretty much everybody would make out in the real world. They're also allowing you to continue receiving it and pay back only a portion of it while you work, so that they can incentivize yeah, people exactly. to work and still uh, bring a, a livable wage home because the EI becomes a supplement, which is one of the reasons I think if you add that, I'm not trying to be argumentative, but I'm throwing this at you. Uh, if you add that to the fact that Trudeau finds himself in trouble, he's uh, aided now by a new finance minister who is known to be very social or in her leanings. Yeah, yeah. I won't say socialist, I'll say social in her leanings. And they want to come back uh, after the prorogation with a bang. And I'm going to tell you, you may disagree, but I, I will not be surprised if we hear about a pretty significant program uh, that that is akin to, if not de facto, a basic annual income. Not only that, there's a piece of me that thinks it's not a terrible idea, despite the fact that I'm anything but socialist. I just think the machinery of government for all the different benefits you can get needs a revamp, and revamping it to one great big modern computer that looked at everybody might be a good idea. 
Um, I, I don't think they will go down that road. I've debated this very debate uh, subject with uh, people from the Canadian Labor Congress in the last three, four years, okay. as well as the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, which is a left-wing think tank in Ottawa. And everyone I debated said, look, I think a guaranteed annual income is a great idea. If we fold in all the existing programs, we, we close them down. In other words, social welfare, old age pensions, uh, subsidized housing, because the guaranteed income is supposed to replace that. Every debate I had, and I had quite a few over the last three, four years, said, no, 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 no. The GAI is on top of our entire couple of hundred billion of social welfare spending. I'm using social welfare in a very broad sense. Okay, including unemployment insurance, old age pensions, subsidized housing, uh, pharmacare for low-income people, and so forth. So what they said is, no, 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 we want GAI on top of all of those programs. Uh, that, that Could is never do it. By. Couldn't do it. Well, it's unsustainable. It's truly That's unsustainable. Right. That's why I think what the liberals are going to do, I have to unpack and finish my, my argument to you, they're not just going to expand EI as they've already done. They will keep most of that expansion. Yes, the hours required will go back up, but this expansion of who qualifies and for what purpose, you know, caregivers and that sort of, that's going to remain. But more importantly, they're at the same time in the throne speech are going to announce, I predict, pharmacare expansion, and they're going to announce some kind of daycare. Christy Freeland said last night, stay tuned. When asked about daycare specifically, she said, stay tuned. National and daycare. So, so there are other social programs that are going to have the effect of looking after uh, not a guaranteed, if you need a guaranteed annual income to do what? Pay for your various expenses. Well, if you provide enhanced uh, pharmacare and you provide enhanced daycare and you provide enhanced um, uh, unemployment insurance and on and on and on, well, it comes to the same thing, except you're not using the same acronyms and the same letters. If you expand the total amount of spending, on social welfare programs writ large, then you have the same effect as just giving you one great big check uh, once a month. And that's where I think they're going. From a political point of view, it makes a lot more sense because there's more announceables. If you just do one big GAI, you get the credit the day you announce it, and that's it. You never get any more credit. But with, with all of these other programs, you've got ministers who can be going at ribbon-cutting ceremonies, and they can be announcing uh, the enhancements on a regular basis to all of these other programs, pharmacare, uh, elder care, uh, daycare, and so forth. So I think they're going to come up with a smorgasbord <laughs> of, uh, of social programs that are very, uh, very significant enhancements, or they'll be much more generous. And I'll have one of these and two of those, Ian. I'm sorry. I'll have one of these and two of those, <laughs> and I want a hot dish as well. Look, we're we're out of time, but the bottom line is we are becoming ever more the uh, the socialist paradise, living high above a wild party that can't control itself. That's North America. Yes. Thank you so much. Appreciate your uh, interpretation of this, and undoubtedly, when they do roll these things out, we'll be talking again. Thanks. My pleasure. All right. Professor Ian Lee, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. I'm Peter Sherman. I don't know if you live on a street. It's hard not to live on a street in Toronto or even in the GTA where there isn't construction somewhere. There's construction on my floor in my condo, but there's a building going up uh, down the street and you can certainly hear the trucks and there's one being finished up the street and you can hear those trucks uh, and it goes on and on. So there's a fellow named John DeLeon and he does a video tweet uh, in which he says construction is driving me insane. Listen. Construction! Whoa! Look at that! Construction! Construction! 8:30 at night. 
Woo! They're just going right at it. There's nothing I can do. 8.30 at night, nothing I can do because this is a Doug Ford thing. He decided that it's okay for construction to go on until 10 o'clock at night and as early as 6 o'clock in the morning. I just, I mean, that's just the way it is, you know? I called 311, I called my city councilor. Nothing they can do. Nothing. Absolutely nothing I can do. Woo! Well, that's John DeLeon, but uh, apparently there is something they, they can do. And uh, Councilor Josh Matlow is on the line. Long time since we've spoken, Josh. Peter, nice to hear your voice. It's a pleasure. You know, uh, I'm not sure whether I'm in your area, but uh, if I'm not, I'm very close. And uh, I, I think I am, but we should okay. get together and compare notes. Anyway, you tweeted. I, I would John, love that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you tweeted. I'll, I'll walk over to the village. John is yeah. right, and his video is awesome. Premier yeah. Ford listened to him and returned Toronto's ability to restrict construction noise hours. You <laughs> tweeted that out, and it was yesterday. What are we talking about here? And by the way, this is one of the few moments that I wish that radio was a visual medium because uh, I encourage people to watch the video. He did. He really expressed himself well, and it's he was really good. And not only did he express himself, I think he reflected how a lot of us feel. Um, so this is the situation. Um, I think Premier Ford overall during the pandemic has done a laudable job on a number of different things, but. Um, I'm really concerned about how um, the uh, the construction industry has uh, gotten away with a lot of things through this. And one of the things that happened was <clears throat> that uh, uh, the, the Ford government essentially overrided the uh, the city of Toronto's uh, construction noise bylaw restrictions. Which is what and seven eight to seven p.m. So the way the way it's supposed the way it's supposed to work is that. Uh, construction noise can only happen between 7 to 7 during the weekdays, okay. 9 to 7 on Saturdays, and then none at all on Sundays and statutory holidays like Canada Day. This year was very different. So in, in early April, and remember, this was like right at the height of the pandemic. It was right when the government was telling us all to stay home and uh, and work from home and uh, and and. and some cases self-isolate. Um, everyone who now was spending all their time at home was uh, all of a sudden uh, dealing with construction that was now allowed by the province, which essentially, well, they dismissed the city's uh, restrictions to go from six in the morning till 10 at night every day. That also includes Sundays and Canada Day. Like, okay, and, so and let me stop you there because I'm short yeah. on time, Josh. You've got a motion you're putting before council, I guess imminently, that says, hey, appeal to the province. Let's get these, this, this thing back in line and 7A to 7P is making sense. Uh, a, a slight correction. I, I, I moved the motion already and it was approved by council, but yes. So what, what happens now? Does it go to the province uh, as a motion duly passed? That's right. Yeah. So it had the support of the mayor and council. And um, the next step is to hear from the province about uh, how they intend to respond. And thus far, I'm not aware of any response. When do you expect to get something back? I mean, I know you, you're a dog with a bone. You're going to, you're going to go to the ministry of municipal affairs and say, Hey, city of Toronto act motion passed. What? 
I wish I could tell you. The problem is, is that we can control our our messages and our request to the province, but we have had zero control over uh, the timing of the response or what the response is. And uh, but but what I'm encouraging people to do, and that's why I'm glad you're discussing it today on your show, is if you feel the same way, if you believe that it's unreasonable and frankly disrespectful that uh, that construction noise is allowed so early in the morning, late at night and on Sundays uh, and statutory holidays, tell your MPP, tell the premier, we need your help because ultimately this status quo can't go on. Now, by the way, this was done ostensibly to support hospital construction in the midst of a pandemic. The reality is they haven't been building hospitals. God forbid they become overwhelmed, but they haven't yet. In fact, many hospitals were running at 70% capacity because a lot of people weren't going to them for good reason. Uh, this has given cover for condo construction. I mean, that's what's going on. Well, and that is what's going on in my own neighborhood, which it, and in the particular building I'm thinking of, it is your ward. Um, yeah. It's 6 o'clock in the morning, no question about that's it. Right. That I can't and deal with. The 10 o'clock at night, I don't care. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's your subjective view. I, I know John, John to Leon would feel differently. True. And, 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 you know, the reality is, of course, and, you know, there are going to be some people who might call into your show and say, but what about, we need the economy, we need, uh, you know, construction, we need housing, all that. Nobody's, nobody's arguing with that. Of course, I support that too. Of course, there's going to be construction and we, and there's going to be buildings built. That's not, that's not the debate here. It's that there needs to be some reasonable balance between uh, the time that the noise can occur and the time that people can have some basic quality of life and, uh, and, and, and support for their own mental health when they're also, you know, trying to actually have time at home and maybe even get some work done. Because Josh, this will blow else. you away, but Peter Sherman and Josh Matlow are pretty much on the same page for a change, and uh, I wish you well with this. Well, guess what, Peter? Even when I've disagreed with you, I've always really liked you. And I'm not surprised that we're going to find once in a while something we really agree on. So nice well, nice to connect with you. <laughs> ditto on both. Thanks so much, Josh. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Kelly's back on Monday. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and all of Global News Radio's podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.